Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 446, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. We are back with Programming by Stealth, episode 18 with Bart Bouchatz. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine. Um, so uh, I climbed three mountains today, so I'm in a good mood. Wow. Yeah, we're going to, hopefully soon, we're going to talk about your exercise and what's what you've been doing. That's a pretty, pretty cool story of success. But uh, for right now, let's see, we've been chatting offline before we started about Allison and her uh, utter and dismal failure to do her homework correctly. <laughs> yeah, practice makes perfect. And do bear in mind that we are now within sight of the peak of the JavaScript language. And that's oh. no, that's no mean feat. Oh, I thought there so, would be lots more language and words and stuff I had to I had to learn. No, no. So basically, what we have now, after today, in fact, we will be done with the language JavaScript. Wow! And then we're just going to be using the the various objects provided by the browser to interact with the browser. So you've already learned. So you've been using my playground PBS dot do this, PBS dot do that. Well, the PBS dot falls away, and instead, we're going to talk to the real browser. And so the real browser will allow us to say things like, whenever someone clicks this button, run this little function. Mm. Well, we know what a function is. We've already learned about them. Uh, so we're going to be applying what we know to the browser. But in terms of new concepts, they're going to be few and far between. Oh, uh, good. In terms of the browser, it's not actually a difficult model. So I hope we're done the with the vocabulary because that's what's really killing me. <laughs> we are. Now, the reason I'm focusing so much on objects is because that the browser uses something called the document object model to represent a web page. And you might imagine that's made up of objects all the way down. Yeah, so every dumb. Yeah, exactly. So every time you open an HTML tag, an object comes into being that you can manipulate with JavaScript. And so you can take you can say, give me every paragraph and make them all blue. Hmm. Give give me every paragraph and hide them all, or show them all, or animate them in, or animate them out. But it's it's objects, object, 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 all the way down. Okay. And Good. functions coming out of your ear. So basically, objects and functions, and that's what we have been doing. So there are no new concepts in that sense. It's just applying them. So this is today is just we're we're, we're finishing off a few little a few little things I have not been explicit enough about, and just a few little things to round off, and that's it. Good. And then I think we're going to take a breather. So we were talking about this beforehand. So what I'm probably going to do is write a blog post with a bunch of sort of starting very, very simple little challenges, just little snippets of challenges, you know, create a string that does something right, you know, write a function to do something simple, just little simple bite sized nibbles. And if you make it to the end of all the nibbles, then you know, you're ready to move on. Okay, good. I would like some nibbling because I I gotta be uh, I gotta be honest. This uh, this week was kind of a feast. This week's challenge. Initially, I had very optimistically. Um, I'd expected this week's show to basically be all in last week, and then the challenge would have made more sense. Ah. But in the end, last week we sort of improvised on the fly, cut it in half, and I didn't edit the challenge. Ah, okay. So the challenge maybe would have been a little less difficult if uh, if we'd gone all the way through all the bits. It would have. And the other thing is, ironically, today's challenge, so I had to make up an extra challenge. Since we've chopped the show in half, I suddenly found myself one challenge short. Ah. So I made up another challenge, and ironically, it's easier than the one that you actually got. <laughs> so, so the challenge at the end of this is actually easier than the challenge that you got for this week. Thank goodness. I gotta be honest, Although that it, was tough. It was tough. So... I have in the show notes a bells and whistles solution. So like I keep on saying, 
There is no right answer. There is an infinity of right answers. There's no definitive right answer. So what I have is a, a very by-the-book answer that does error checking and all that sort of bells and whistles. So it makes the code look a little chunkier than just a bare-bones code. But at the same time, there are, you know, if you look at it in the assignment, there is a lot of orange and all the orange is comments. So yeah, the ratio I think that's of orange help. to not orange is very high. So that isn't, it isn't written, the solution to the challenge is not written the way you would have normally written it for yourself, but you've, it you've is. over, well, you've, oh, would you have no, done no, that many comments? I would comment, I absolutely would. Oh, Most wow. of the comments you see here are from my text expander <laughs> snippet that I talk about. I will never write a function without first saying what it's going to do, what arguments it should have, and what it will return when it's finished. Pretty much the only thing I accomplished on my own on last week's assignment was that text expander snippet, and I tried to fill the little words in, but I didn't know what to type after them. Yeah, but that is a good start, right? Because then when you're writing the function, you, you know, you make sure that the, effectively that is your documentation. So you should be able to read that comment and go, ah, okay, so the function of the quote function is to do whatever. You know, so okay. it, it, they should be there to help. And because JavaScript is a loosely typed language, the language itself won't check your arguments and stuff. It's all left up to you. And if you don't write in English what the arguments should be, you will never spot a bug in the code. Oh, okay. So I will say things like the constructor for the quotation prototype arguments. One, a quotation as a string. Two, a name as a string. Three, optional, a note as a string. Hmm. And then you'll see function quotation Q comma B comma N. In other words, quotation by name. Or note, sorry, quotation by note, QBN. So three arguments. The first will be a quotation, so I'm calling it Q. The second will be a name, so I'm calling it B for by. One could argue with me about that. <laughs> the third is optional and will be a note, so I'm calling it N. So the two that are not optional, I just simply say this dot underscore quote equals Q forced into a string. So you'll see I have a comment after it saying this is not some sort of weirdo. I am being hyper paranoid. And I'm saying, if you gave me the number four, I'm going to make it be the string four. Oh, okay. So the, we, we learned about this in episode 12, I think. You can force yeah. anything to be what you want. So string Q just means I don't care what it was. Turn it into a string and I'm going to save that. So if it was true, it becomes the letter T or U-E. If it was four, it becomes the character four in a string. Okay, okay. Okay. And I'll do the same for the by. So they're not optional, so I'm just going to whoosh those in. And it means if they were passed in as being undefined, the quote, the quote becomes kind of boring. Undefined by undefined. Okay. You were silly. It is definitely going to be a string, though. Then I say, okay, well, the note I said in my comment was optional. So if the note is optional, I can't just shove it in. So I say, I'm going to start off by assuming there was no note. So this dot underscore note equals undefined. And then I say, if n is not undefined so type of n not equal to undefined then actually save it but again force the thing into a string string n so i am in no doubt now that i have two strings and either undefined or a string i'm afraid i missed one little thing there what is this optional note you're talking about so for extra credit i said that you could go back and edit your code afterwards so that a quotation could optionally have a note so uh, okay okay I think you were saying you had a quote, if you build it, they will come, and the note was used in the movie. Such a movie. That's right. That's right. Okay. But I think yeah, it's that was, hilarious that you thought I'd make it to extra credit. <laughs> Maybe well, whether teacher's you did or didn't, pet in here did that. But whether you made it to extra credit or not, I still felt my solution should should do that in case. <laughs> sure. 
Right, the listeners should see the full solution, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. So basically, big picture-wise, we're building up the quotation prototype. So every prototype has two. is a game of two halves. Half one is the constructor function, whose job it is to build the data, and then you tack in the functions one by one. So our data is three things. This that underscore quote, this that underscore by, and this that underscore note. Okay. So our constructor has constructed our three pieces of data. All right. Then I start to tack in the functions. And so the first function is an accessor in the jargon, and that is that is jargon. Its job is to provide access to the hidden inside variable this.underscore So if you pass it with no arguments, so it says it always returns the quote inside the object. Oh, so by the, the way, when, line, we, when we were on the phone yesterday, you explained to me that mm-hmm. the word method and the word function are synonyms? They are indeed synonyms. Okay, all right. Alistair is now shouting in his iPhone... For the point of view of JavaScript, they are Alistair. <laughs> and someone who writes Fortran somewhere is shouting at me too. Okay. But yes, they are synonyms for our for our purposes. Okay. Function, method. Don't give me more. You're killing me already. More, so that's okay, good. good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> All right. So we've uh, got an accessor function that its job is going to be let us to reach inside the... The object, object. filled with this... Blueprint or prototype is the fancy name. All right. So if you give it no arguments, it will return you the value. And if you give it an argument, it will take it from you, store it, and then give you it back. So if you want to make the quote be something else, you would call it with a string. And if you just want to get the quote, just call it with no arguments. This is the JavaScript way. So if you were writing in other languages, you would write a function called getQuote and a separate function called setQuote, which is philosophically perhaps easier to understand so you would have a getter and a setter but in javascript world we mush the two into one function and we just say if you give me no arguments well you must want me to get it and if you give me an argument you must want me to set it and there's a really good reason i'm doing it this way because when we're in browser land they're all going to work like this okay Okay, so all this does is allows us to change the value inside underscore quotation. And there's an almost identical function to allow us to change the value in underscore by and an identical function to allow us to change the value in underscore note. Those three functions are good practice, but actually we're not going to be creating a quote and then changing it. So if you skip those three functions, you'll you'll lose no credit. That's fine. Okay. Okay, but they are good practice if you were writing if you were writing a quotation class to be used by hundreds of programmers all around the world, you would put these in. So all the right. really important function is to string. And to string, I told you that I would like you to render the quote as being a quotation mark, then the quote, then another quotation mark, space, minus sign, space, and then who said it. So that's what I said in my description of the problem. And so this function quotation.prototype.toString does that. So it starts off by saying the answer is equal to a quotation mark concatenated with this dot underscore quote concatenated with another quotation mark and a space and a minus and a space concatenated with this dot underscore by. Right. And then we're saying if they happen to put in a note, so this is the extra credit bit, line 77 and 70 to 79, if there is a note concatenated in space parens concatenated with this dot underscore note concatenated with parens. Right. Okay. And then return that whole thing. All right. I'm actually with you up to there. <laughs> okay. So now what we have now done is we have now defined a blueprint for making a quotation. And now we're going to make a completely separate blueprint for this random quoter thing. 
So you'll see a giant big, I call them shouty comments. So I have a, a comment over three lines to make it like a really obvious heading. Like, Auga, we're starting something new. <laughs> okay? All right. So we're saying create the random quota prototype. So again, first the constructor, then the function. So the constructor is called random quota, and it one piece of data gets initialized here. This dot underscore quotes equals a blank array. Now, the next bit is extra credit stuff again. So if you prefer, I will ignore it. Or if you yeah, don't prefer, let's skip over it for now. Because it, okay? okay. it is extra credit stuff. So then we add a function called empty because that's just an easy one to write. So it just says if you call the empty function, you take this dot underscore quotes and make it equal to an empty array. And line 15 is extra credit stuff. Uh, we- ah. 15? 115? Line 115, apologies. Okay. <laughs> then we come to the a really important one, the add function. Now, I have done this one to be really robust. Um, you wrote your add function, so it accepts exactly one quote. That is perfectly valid. I am lazy, so I want to be allowed to add 100 quotes in one go. I think that actually so was part of the assignment was an indeterminate number of quotes, but... okay. I may have said that. You're I'm right. barely so if, keeping up with one. So. <laughs> okay, so if you'll see, you'll, you'll see in my comment, I say the arguments are one dot dot n, an arbitrary number of quotation objects, or an array of quotation objects. So I'm really making it easy for myself to, to, to get quotations into this thing. Now, by doing that, I've made more work for myself because I now have to say, well, did they give me an array or did they give me an arbitrary number of quotes? And then I do it differently. So I'm not sure how long you want to spend on this one. The bottom line is... Why not too much? Yeah. Bottom line is, at the end of that function, all the quotation objects you gave me have been shoved into this dot underscore quotes. Hmm. So if you gave me one, I shoved in one. If you gave me 100, I shoved in 100. And this is also why why there's this out of out of sequence stuff. I use a function here that I haven't told you about yet called push, <laughs> which is a magic and brilliant function you will come to love. Okay. It will make your code easier. You will adore push. But I'm using it here, but you haven't seen it yet. So that's why I'm saying that's extra credit stuff. And I apologize for the fact that this assignment is a bit. Well, to tell the audience, we looked at the clock and it was an hour. uh, We were an hour in and there was still, you know, a third of the text to go. So we decided to to, uh, punt and keep going or punt and stop. (laughs) And then the last function in this prototype is the function quote. And its job is to spit out a random quote. And. The first thing we do is say var rand index. So in other words, it's going to be a random number and it is going to be somewhere between zero and the length of the array. In other words, a random place in the quotes array mm-hmm. equals. Now, the math.floor stuff we're going to talk about later. So that is the mathematics to give a random number somewhere inside the array. Now, I don't know that you actually told people about the math it, dot thing. We brought it up because I had found it when I was trying to do a sign function in something I did. Yeah, we're about to talk about it in about 10 minutes. <laughs> okay, all right. And then we just return this dot underscore quotes random index. In other words, oh, okay. it's going to be a number somewhere between zero and the length of the array, and then we two-string it and return all of that. So when you say quote, you're going to get a random quote coming out as a string. I do want to tell people, uh, as I said, I failed miserably and, and am still reasonably lost on this, but I, I did have one moment of a light bulb turning on or a, a, a shoe dropping, I guess you call it, mm-hmm. when uh, Bart talked about creating an array of, of length zero, so it's just two square brackets, and then mm-hmm. we we took the quote and put it where the length 
into the into the position in the array where the length was. So when yes. the length is zero, that means that first value goes into zero, and that's why it starts with zero. Yeah, to be honest, because it works really well that way. Yeah, yeah, that made me really happy that there was finally a reason for it to start with zero. <laughs> Other than computer scientists just think that way. <laughs> Okay, so at this point in the in the example, we have created two prototypes, but they are just blueprints. So what we now have is two is two blueprints, one for a quotation and one for a random quoter. But we have actually built nothing. It's like having the blueprint for your car and the blueprint for your house. You have nothing. You just have blueprints. Okay. So now we're going to use these blueprints. So the first thing is we say var or q is assigned the value of, and then we say new random quoter. So the word new says call in the construction squad and then using whatever uh, constructor function you name in other words whatever prototype you're building with build an object and stick the value into the other side of the equals so or q will become equal to a brand new random quoter that was built using our constructor we defined up above okay so the keyword new says build me something and then you tell it what to build you so or q is now a random quoter and if the constructor of or q starts with an empty array. So ORQ is now an object with no quotations inside it. Not a very interesting object. But nonetheless, it exists. Then I say var author equals Oscar Wilde because I'm too lazy to type Oscar Wilde's name 10 times. <laughs> so I just made a variable. Then I say ORQ.add. And because I wrote my add function so it can take an arbitrary number of quotations, I can, I can do all this on one line. I can say new quotation America. It has often been discovered before Columbus, but it had always been hushed up, comma, author. Then comma, oh. another new object. So because I'm taking arbitrary amounts of, of, uh, of arguments, I can do all my 10 quotes in one go. Okay. And then I just do a PBS that say orq.quote and orq.quote. So in other words, a random quote and another random quote. And then I blank my orq object and then add in 10 Winston Churchill quotes, just because I like Winston Churchill. <laughs> uh, so we do the same sort of syntax, and then we say another orq.quote. So when you run it, you should get out two Oscar Wilde quotes and a Winston Churchill quote. And why, they'll be different every time. Because I said three, and I couldn't find a better way to... I, I, I said no, the how does it three. know to go two and one, though? Because I have PBS.say, and then another PBS.say, and then a third PBS.say. So oh, exactly oh, I got you, got you. Got you. Okay. All right. And it oh. works. You can copy and paste the code, and it works. And I admit that was a tough challenge. Anyone who got that <laughs> challenge... Very well done. And yeah. if not, come back to it after you do the challenge for this week, and it should make a lot more sense. I hope so. All right. Okay, so now we're going to hoover up some loose pieces. <laughs> a few little things we've left floating around. So I told you a few installments ago about the arguments keyword. And Ooh. I told you that inside every function, there exists a variable called arguments that is an array. Okay. And the first element in the array is the first argument, and the second element is the second argument, and the third element is the third argument. Therefore, if you loop through this array, you can do things like have an arbitrary number of arguments, which is what I did in my add function. Mm -hmm. And I told you it was an array, and that's a white lie. <laughs> it behaves very much like an array, right? Arguments square bracket zero is the first argument. Arguments square bracket one is the second argument. And there is an arguments dot length to tell you how many there are. Yeah. So it looks like an array. I think you'll agree with me. It looks a lot like an array. Yeah. However, it does not have the prototype array with a capital A. Mm. 
So that means you cannot use for each on the arguments object. Because for mm. each belongs to arrays and arguments is not an array, which is really annoying. We're also going to learn about a wonderful function called sort. You can't use that on that one either. So okay, that is what's just an argument thing. again. Now you've talked me into, I thought I understood what it was. And now I, I thought arguments were just things in an array of a function. Yeah, they are. So when you say, if you write a function called adder, then inside that function, whatever they passed in as the first argument will become arguments zero. And I can't for each on them because why? Because they are not an array. They look like an array, but they're only pretending. It's really annoying. Do you have that to is, arrayify it? You have to arrayify it. Oh, you do? Oh, and good. You, and in versions of JavaScript newer than the one that IE supports, there is a really simple function. You just say array.from and then you pass it the arguments and it'll spit out an array. It's beautiful. Oh, but unfortunately, as long as IE exists, you can't use array.from. All, I, all IEs? Even the newest IE? Uh, edge you can use, not IE. Wow. I know, really annoying. So when IE dies and everyone's using Edge, then you can get away with array.from or when you don't care about people on Windows. Yeah, but we care about people on Windows. But if I'm writing something for myself, a little project to scratch my own itch, I don't. I suppose. But just don't take the shortcut unless you're sure you don't care about the Windows people. Okay, so assume you do. Assume you do. Okay. So if you do, then I'm afraid to say you have to write a loop. So you say var args array equals an empty array. Four var i equals zero. I is less than arguments dot length. I plus plus args array i equals arguments i. <laughs> so args array is a a variable a, you created. It's an array yes. you created out of yeah. the arguments. Yeah. So one by one we copy them over, take the first thing from the arguments, and put it into args array. Take so do you have a text expander snippet for this one? Uh, I do not because I don't do it that often. Okay. I could. So that's the first bit of cleaning up. The second bit of cleaning up, I've told you about type of, but we never actually looked at it at all. So type of is an operator, and it's, it's basically you say type of space the thing you want to get the type of. So you might say var x equals 4, then you could say type of 4, and it will become number, because x is a number. Because you said right. x equals 4. Right. Um, it will always return a string, it will produce a string, and that string will be either the string N-U-M-B-E-R, if the value is any kind of number, Boolean with a lowercase b, if it's, any, if it's true or false, there are the only two Booleans that exist, string with a lowercase s, if it's a string, undefined, if it's undefined, function, if it's a function, and object in all other cases. If it doesn't know, it runs home to object. <laughs> okay. And... The problem is, if you run the sample code, you'll see how it behaves. And most of the time, it behaves quite sensibly. So if you copy that into our playground and run it, you will see that it says that undefined is undefined. Null is an object. That one's slightly odd, too. Four is a number. The string four is a string. Boogers is a string. True is a Boolean. False is a Boolean. Parse int is a function, because we yeah. learned about it. Right. The array one, two, three is an object. Yeah. It's not an array? Because it has no idea of arrays. It only knows about... Oh, number, boolean, string, find function, yeah. and object. Went, okay. So it runs home to object. Okay. It says, oh, well, you are object. So that's its annoyance. That's, that's where it 
falls flat on its face in my humble opinion. And then we give it an object and it quite rightly says, okay, you're an object. But it says a razor object, which is why you have to use type of, or sorry, why you have to use instance of to find if something is an array. So you say X instance of array with a capital A is the only way to test if X is an array. It's very annoying. Hmm. Very okay. annoying. Now I'm going to tell you about the fact that JavaScript has, you know the way they say don't reinvent the wheel? Yeah. Well, JavaScript has a collection of wheels and they do things you might want to do. And so I'm just going to point you in the direction of them. And all I want you to remember is that these exist and you can Google for the exact spelling. So I just want you to remember that if you have a string, there exists a function to turn it into lowercase. There exists a function to turn it into uppercase. There exists a way to get its length. So oh. all of these are provided by the string prototype, string with a capital S. Okay. So in the example code we have there, my, var my string equals the string hello world. All right. And we can do a PBS that say on my string, and it'll just say hello world. Then we do a PBS that say on my string dot length, and it will be whatever the length is of of. Uh, so that's one world. of these things you're saying exists for this. Is the dot it length? It just exists. It's provided for you by the language. Yeah. So every string okay. has a dot length provided for you by JavaScript. All right. Twelve. It also has a function provided by JavaScript called to uppercase. So you can say my string dot to uppercase, and you will get back hello world. <laughs> my string dot to lowercase gives you back hello world. Uh, and I want to prove to you that what all of these functions do is they return a copy of the string that's been changed. So that's why line six says another PBS that's saying my string, and you'll see that the string hasn't been altered by having been. Oh, shouted. I was going to ask you that. It's just a. It's transforming it, it on its way say, somewhere else yeah exactly okay. so you okay, could say good. var my other string equals my string dot two uppercase or pbs dot say my string dot two uppercase okay i was i was actually going to ask you that was it was it modifying it or not okay it's not modifying it's returning you an altered clone all right uh, and then the last thing is you can actually call these functions on a literal so we have quote boo quote dot two uppercase and that works too cool yeah, which is a nice little thing that JavaScript does that most languages would not be that helpful. So I'm just I excited like. you told us something we only have to remember it exists. I don't have to remember it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, that's the way with all of these things that JavaScript just gives you for free, right? Just know that they exist and you can go look them up. Okay. There's also a, a useful little function called car at, C-H-A or uppercase A-T. And it allows you to access the character at position 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. So basically turns a string into a pretend array. Huh. So if you say car at zero, it would be H. Car at one would be E. Car at two would be L. Car at three would be the other L. Car wait, at... wait, in what? Oh, in Hello World. In Hello okay. World, yeah. So you can use that with a for loop to reverse an array, or to reverse a string. You mean to spell so it backwards? Say, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm making a function here in the show, and it's called reverse string. Function reverse string S. So we're going to say, we're going to call the first argument S. To make sure that S really is a string, I say S equals string S. Then I say my answer equals the empty string. So var ans equals empty string. And then we say for I for var I equals S dot length. So whatever the length is of hello world, which is 12. So we start I at 12. Mm -hmm. and then we say, well, I is greater than or equal to zero. And we're going to move it forward by minus minusing it. <laughs> so we're going to start at the back of hello world and get each character one by one and stick them into the front of answer. So if you start at the back and then make that the front, well, then you've reversed the string, haven't you? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> okay. 
okay, but it works, so you can run it there. You can yeah, run that example. Just, okay. It'll give you the reverse of hello world, which is exclamation point. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But Karat basically lets you get at each individual character. So it lets you reach into a string as if it was an array. Does that really come up very often? In assignments to get students to reverse strings, which is a really common way of making students learn their loops. <laughs> okay. I should, I, I'm glad to know that exists. It is sometimes useful. All right. Now, you have to be a teeny bit careful here because all of these functions for strings only exist on strings. So if you say var x equals 4, as in the number 4, not the string 4, and then you try to do x dot to uppercase, you will get yourself a great big error. So if you copy and paste that code, that is bogus code, error code, not no worky code, because <laughs> the number 4 does not have a to uppercase. It's a type error. Yep. X dot to uppercase is not a function. Okay, yes, so like, only on strings. Talking? Only on strings. So as a safety measure, whenever I use to uppercase, I, I, I force it to be a string using st the string function. So I would say string x dot to uppercase, and then it will work just fine. It won't do anything very exciting on the number four, but the second example shows you that it, you can do this, and it won't, it won't alter the original. So we say pbs.say type of x is number, then I do two uppercase on the stringed version of X, and it just says four because the uppercase of four is four. But to prove that I haven't in any way altered X, if we do a, PB, a PBS to say of type of X again, it's still a number. But it didn't cause an error. So that's what this capital string around the X does. It forces it to be a string so you don't get those errors. Okay. But so you can't, even, though, even though you can't capitalize at lower or uppercase a string four... Uh, and, and it's a string, which is the number four, not F O U R. Mm -hmm. Uh, it yep. doesn't error out. It just says, oh, that's a string, but, uh, four is four is four. Yeah, exactly. So it says, this is a very boring two uppercase, but have it back. Okay. And it could appear inside a, the, the digit four could appear inside a sentence. So maybe, maybe two uppercase would have some other work to do. Yeah. But okay. yeah, no, this, this is a dumb example. The point being though, no error. And that's yeah. what you want to avoid in your code. You want to avoid errors. I'm better so it's, at it's making errors. Can I? It's good to go with your strengths, they say. <laughs> well, making errors is easy. And oh. then the last thing I want to talk about that a string can do is a really useful function called split. Mm -hmm. And split allows you to take a string and turn it into an array and you specify what you want the separator character to be. Hmm. So if you imagine a time is a number, colon a number, colon a number. So if I split that on colon, I will get back an array with three parts. Yeah, right, right, right. And so that's what's in the example there. And in some terminology, that is called exploding a string. Hmm. That actually seems take pretty useful. So you could say 15 very. colon 45 colon 01 is 15 hours, 45 minutes, 01 seconds. Exactly. Okay. So it's just name of string dot split, and you give it as its first argument, the separator. So in this case, we're saying t dot split on colon, and it will return an array. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of arrays, let's have another look at the array prototype. So we've already learned about for each. For each, every array has a for each property because an array is an object, and the prototype of that object is array with a capital A. We've also learned about dot length, another property that all arrays have. So we know about those two already. But arrays have more. The first four together make a sort of a logical grouping. 
are you familiar with the concept of a queue? Uh, meaning a line? A line, or as a data structure in computer science, a queue is something, it's called a first-in, first-out data structure. Okay, and, th- and th- in this case, queue is Q-U-E-U-E? Correct. Yeah. Okay, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know it in programming, no. I know that you okay, go so, to the movies and you stand in the queue when you're in England. Okay. So if you were to make a queue in some sort of software and, and you were to say, stick four into the queue and then say, give me whatever is in, say, stick four into the queue, five into the queue, six into the queue, and then say, give me whoever is first in line, it would, you would get them back in the order you put them in. Okay. So that's a queue. And a stack is the opposite. It's a first in, last out, or last in, first out. So if I say okay. to stack, think of it like plates. The first plate ends up on the bottom, the second plate goes on top of it, the third plate goes on top of that. So when you take them back, you get three, two, one instead of one, two, three. Okay. You can make an array behave like either of those two things using four related functions. If you like the concept of first in, first out, you would use the functions uh, shift and unshift. And if you like it as a stack, you would use push and pop. So... If we look at the if we look at the sample code, you'll see them in action. So var a equals apple orange pear. So we have three. We have an array of length three containing apple orange and pear. If I do a so if I then do a PBS that say the initial array is a, then I say a dot push banana. So push means shove it into the end of the array. So then array becomes apple orange pear banana. And then if I do an unshift, I take something off the front. Sorry, unshift means push onto the front, so then it becomes. Wait, I've, peach. I've lost you. Push, push, okay, sorry, pop, shift, unshift. What? <laughs> okay, push means shove into the end of the array. So if we have okay. apple orange pear and I shove a banana in, it becomes apple orange pear banana. All right. Unshift is the is the opposite. It means shove it onto the front. Okay. So if I unshift peach, then peach gets shoved into the front of the array, so it becomes peach, apple orange, pear banana. Okay. And then we can go the other way and we can start taking stuff out. So, so we pop can... Pop pulls it off the top? Pop pulls it off the end of the array. So it, okay. when you say pop, you get back the value at the end and the array is shortened by one. So pop gives us back... Uh, the last thing on the array was banana. So pop gives us back banana and the array has now lost the banana. And then shift does the opposite. It pulls it off the front. So the so, peach is pulled back oh, off. Oh, wait, wait. No, that's important. It's actually removing it from this from the yes. stack. Or the, yeah, so it gives you the, the value that was at the front as the output of the pop command or the shift command, but it is also taken away. Oh, okay. So the, the that terminology could have been better, but I guess they were well, running out of words. Pop, push and pop is very, very computer science common. Shift and unshift is a bit special. Okay. All right, so unlike the other stuff you were doing, um, like splitting and uppercasing and all that those this one actually affects the array this one actually affects the array and this is something that makes arrays different to strings all of the array functions actually affect the array okay oh interesting now, okay this makes sense because the other functions are dot reverse which will reverse the array dot sort will sort the array but it's a bit dumb annoyingly so so by default dot sort will sort alphabetically which is really fine for apple, orange, pear, banana. <laughs> Awful for the array 1527-1625 because 16 sorts before 2, 5, 7, and 25 because <laughs> it begins with a 1. 
Okay. However, so there must be a way to do it numerically. There is a way to do it numerically, but it's a little bit more convoluted than you might think. Sort can accept as an argument an anonymous function. <laughs> okay. And that anonymous function will be called with two arguments. And it is your job as the programmer of the anonymous function. If the first argument should be sorted before the second argument, return minus one. If it's the other way around, return one. And if they're equal, return zero. What is, uh, oh, and in this, the comparison is looking at their numerical value? Yeah, be, yeah. So in the example there, we do it numerically. So the less than symbol will do numbers. So we say, if A is less than B, return minus one. If B is less than A, return one. Otherwise, return zero. And then if you run that code, you'll see that it does a much more sane thing. So, but what happens with the minus one, one, and zero? Where do those go to Those do are what? used by sort. So you never see those. So the sort, the, the sort function expects as an argument this callback, and it will use that callback perhaps hundreds of times. It'll compare everything in the array. Are you bigger or smaller than him? Minus one. Oh, you go in front. Are you bigger or smaller than him? So it'll compare one and five as A and B, and it'll get back a minus one, a one, or a zero. And if it gets back, whatever it gets back, it'll put those two the right way around. And then it'll compare five and two, and then it'll compare two and seven, Jeez. and then it'll compare seven and 16. It does all that for you automatically, right? So as far as you're concerned, when it's finished, the array will be correct. Reminds me of a kindergarten class I saw once trying to put themselves into alphabetical order. Yeah. I <laughs> every mean, kid I mean, asking every single other kid, am I bigger or smaller than you? <laughs> that's not a bad way to do it. There's a couple of algorithms for sorting. The simplest one to understand is the so-called bubble sort. And a bubble sort, you just keep comparing yourself to your neighbor until you fall off the end of the queue, and then you go back to the start and you do it again, and you keep doing it until no one moved places, <laughs> and then you're finished. And what you'll see is the tallest person moves up by one every time you go around, and so they bubble up to the top. Oh, sorry, the very tallest person will be right after the first pass through, the second tallest will be right after the second pass through, the third tallest will be right after the third pass through. Hmm. And when you've done enough passes, everyone is right. It's a beautiful algorithm to do at a class. The room full of students make them do a bubble sort. <laughs> Might make that one of your challenges. Oh, dear. <laughs> okay, I'm moving thinking on. Of every cliche computer science thing now. It's, it's a <laughs> okay, the last array function is the opposite of split. So split takes a string and explodes it into an array. A join takes an array and stuffs it into one string, and you get to choose what goes between the bits of the array. So if you call join with no arguments, it will use a comma without a space. Oh. So I have a variable called A, an array called A with the words Allison likes boogers. Mm -hmm. If you call it without any arguments, you will get back Allison, comma, likes, comma, boogers bunched up together. All right. So if you call it again with the string comma space as the argument, you will get a more sane sorting, which is Allison, comma, space, likes, comma, space, boogers. Or you could call it with the string space and then you get Allison, space, likes, space, boogers or the string underscore or the string slash n. Okay. You have Allison, new line likes, new line boogers. All right. So you can see what it does. It just takes the array, sticks whatever you say in between it, and gives it back to you as a string. So that's all we can do to arrays. And then I want to talk about the fact that JavaScript knows maths. Uh -huh. There is an object called math with a capital M, and that is provided for you by JavaScript. It exists. It contains a bunch of common mathematical constants. So math.uppercasepi gives you the value for pi to a certain amount of decimal places. Math.ln10 gives you the natural log of 10. 
math.ln2 gives you the natural log of 2 and math.e gives you Euler's constant. Okay. As you discovered yourself, because you like these kind of things, the math object also provides you with functions, including the common trig functions like math.cos, math.sign, math.tan. Also math.acos, math.asign, math.atan. If I knew what those meant, I'd sound interesting. Arctangent. Okay, that's what the A stands for. No idea what <laughs> it's, well, it's like arc sine and uh, and sine and arc sine. It's the opposite. Like the arc sine of forty five degree or of point five is forty five degrees. I think that's right. Okay, <laughs> I think that makes sense. All anyway, right. I used to know what they were when I did mathematics. Okay. Do you know I got a hundred percent in my first year university mathematics exams, and I don't remember anything. <laughs> I was I, I was fond of geometry. Thousand. That was that was when I was I peaked pretty much in geometry. I like calculus too, though. Anyway, so those are there. Uh, what's also there are very useful functions for rounding into rounding numbers to integers. Math dot floor rounds down, so the math dot floor of two point nine is two. Okay. Math dot seal rounds up. Makes so sense. the math dot seal of two point one is three, and then math dot round does what you expect nearest integer, and then the last one is math dot abs, which is the absolute value. So the absolute value of two is two, and the absolute value of minus two is two. In other words, take the minus sign off if present. That is often oh, useful okay. when you're yeah. Not yeah, it, it comes in useful in a bunch of situations. I just embedded last, two of them. I just did a pbs.say math.round open parentheses math.pi. got three. Yes, you would. And you could see Lynn Flora to get three or four. Yep. Very exciting. And uh, then there's also math.squirt, S-Q-R-T, <laughs> which is the square root. <laughs> and then the last one I want to talk about is a very, 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 very useful one. Math.random. The one we needed in our homework last week, you mean? The one we needed in our homework last week is exactly <laughs> what I mean. Math.random will return a decimal number between 0 and 1. Uh, the number returned can be exactly 0, but it can never be exactly 1. So it's always, can be 0, but it can never be exactly 1. So it's going to be a fraction. All right. And you can combine that with arithmetic to make random numbers of any size you want. So to get a random number between 0 and 99 inclusive, you would start with a math.random and then multiply it by 100, and then take all of that and math.floor it. And that will give you from 0 to 99. If you put a plus 1 on the end, it gives you from 1 to 100. Makes sense. Okay. And if you want between 100 and 200, you plus 101, so on and so forth. <laughs> So or if you want to between a thousand, you multiply by a thousand, all that kind of stuff. So basically, you know that it's going to be between zero and one, and then you multiply by an appropriate amount and then shift it up or down by an appropriate amount. And then you math dot floor it to get yourself to a whole number. And that's oh, okay. how you get around. Cool. Okay. Now I want to talk about one of the two things that I hadn't that I was going to skip, but in hindsight that was stupid, so we're gonna do them. The first <laughs> of them is my favorite thing on the planet. Regular expressions. You are a fan, aren't you? I am a huge fan of regular expressions. Now, we did them in stupendous detail in Taming the Terminal. Installments 17 and 18. 
JavaScript uses exactly the same syntax as egrep. It That's is handy. the so-called Perl-style regular expressions, PCRE. So I am not going to repeat myself because it will take us two and a half hours to do <laughs> installment 17 and 18 again. I'm just going to say that everything we learn in the time with the terminal, we can take with us here. And if you haven't learned, well, go over there and learn because it's the same thing. It is the so same give us a thing. quick definition of what a regular expression is. Okay, so first I'm going to give you the syntax and then we'll do a few examples. So okay. a regular expression is a pattern. It is a way of saying this is a pattern. So the pattern might be contains a digit and then the letter A. Or it could be contains four digits in a row. Or it could be contains four digits, then a period symbol, then four digits. Or it might be contains between one and five digits and a, a percentage sign. Or it might contain three digits and then the letter F. See what I'm saying? A pattern. Okay. So we can use it to spot currency amounts or Fahrenheit amounts or Celsius amounts or well, anything we can describe as a pattern. So in JavaScript, so if we want to make something in a, a string, we use quotation marks. If you want to make something a regular expression, you use forward slashes. All right. So it's, you know, some variable equals forward slash the regular expression forward slash and then maybe some flags semicolon. So the flags we've also learned about in Taming the Terminal. I means case insensitive and G means don't match once match every single time it occurs. So if you have a sentence that mentions five numbers and you're matching for numbers, if you leave off the G, only the first number would match. If you put in the G, all the numbers will match. Is there a word that goes along with G? Global. Global. Okay. And I is for case insensitive. I don't know why they didn't go with the C, but I is case insensitive. <laughs> and G is global. Okay. Uh, like everything else in JavaScript, regular expressions are actually objects. And they are objects with the prototype regexp, capital or capital E. So our example here is var pos int or e, in other words, positive integer regular expression equals forward slash hat symbol means starts with slash d means digit plus means one or more of dollar sign means end of string. In other words, this is the pattern to find an integer, a positive integer, because we don't allow minus signs. What was the dollar symbol for? End of string. So hat oh. is start of string and dollar is end of string. Right. So if there is nothing between the beginning and the end other than digits, it is a whole number. And how, how did it become positive again with the hat? No, the hat was beginning no, it's a string. positive because there's no minus sign. Minus signs are not allowed by this regular expression. So if a number doesn't have a minus, it must be positive. Okay. It's purely based on strings, right? It's purely based on the characters that appear. All right. So it is a description of a number using no mathematics. It's just using the pattern. All right. But it's very so our sample code here takes that regular expression. And the first function I'm going to tell you about is that every expression, every regular expression has a function called dot test. And dot test expects one argument, which is a string. And it will, or well, it's a value, and it will turn it into a string and then compare that string to your regular expression. So you can see the results by running that code of whether any of these things match with that regular expression, which is a dig basically start of string, one or more digits, end of string. Okay. So 42. Well, 4, 2. That matches, so we get true. 
So wait, 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 wait. Okay, so so what we've got is uh, var posint re. That's our our mm-hmm. variable, positive integer, regular expression. We're checking to see mm-hmm. if it's a digit, if it, and it's positive. That's all we care about. Yeah. So, so in other words, we're saying, does it begin with one or more digits and then end? So we say posint re dot test. Open close parentheses forty two. Yeah. Now, dot test will convert to a string for us. So forty two is a number, but it will convert it to a string and then test it. So that becomes the character four followed by the character two. Is so that wait a minute, wait a minute. Why do you want to make it a string if you're looking for a digit? Well, because regular expressions are stringy. Regular expressions care about characters. Oh, so okay. We're doing a character That's comparison. kind of weird. To look for a digit by turning it into a string seems counterintuitive. All right, but if you think about it, what does a whole number look like? Well, it's digits and nothing else. I guess. It's a really easy way to spot a whole number, right? Okay. All right. So 42, 42 works. Minus 42 does not work because the minus sign is not allowed by a regular expression. It must start with one or more digits and then end. Minus isn't a digit. Fail. Math.py. Definitely not a whole number. Definitely not a whole number. Neither is boogers and neither is three boogers. <laughs> it starts with a number, but then it doesn't end. Then it goes on to the boogers. So we get true, true and then old fold. Okay. Huh. All right. Okay, so so the key point here is that to test against the regular expression, it's dot test. All right. And then you pass the value to test, and it will compare it to the regular expression. Okay. There's a second function called dot exec, which is like dot test, only way more powerful. So do you remember when we did regular expressions that you can use parentheses to say, I want this little bit to be referenceable afterwards as a so-called sub-match? <laughs> no. <laughs> did you tell us that? I did. I'm sure you did. So if you're doing currency amounts, say, let's say you you have a string that contains currency amounts and you want to pull them out and break them into their pieces and the pieces of a currency would be the currency symbol, then some digits, then optionally a period and some more digits. So the first bit would be the symbol, the second bit would be the whole number and the third bit, which may or may not be present, would be the... The pennies. Decimal point. Okay. The pennies, yeah. Or the... Euro sense or whatever. Or okay. So in our sample here, I have a string. I'm going to copy that into the playground to make it more readable. Uh, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a contrived example to some extent, as they have to be. So my string is, that lunch was delicious, but it cost 50 euro and 43 cent, which is a bit steep. So my money regular expression, so var money or e so says. So what are you going to try to do here? You're going to try to find out if there's a, a, a money in there? I'm going to try extract the money and split it into pieces all in one go. Okay. So I start by saying, I'm going to start a group here. So open parens, and then I say square bracket means character set. So I want either a pound sign or a dollar sign or a euro sign. Close me parens. Then I want a slash D plus, one or more digits. And then I want, again, open another bracket, a a, a period or a full stop, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're from, followed by two digits, and then a question mark means zero or one times all of that. So does this mean it has to have a decimal? No, because the question mark... Oh. I wrote my regular... No, no, sorry. Yeah, it doesn't have to have a question mark because... I didn't say question mark. Open bracket, period, slash D, slash D, question mark. So the question mark applies to period, slash D, slash D. Okay. And the question mark means zero or one occurrences of. So right. it's optional. 
And then we say var result or res equals moneyori.exec on our string. So exec will do one of two things. If you ask it to exec and the string doesn't have any matches at all, exec throws its hands up in the air and spits out null. So that's its way of saying, didn't find it. Sorry, I don't know what you're asking for. There is nothing like that here. It spits out null. If it doesn't spit out null, it spits out something that isn't but looks like an array where element zero is the whole bit that matched. Element one is the first submatch. Element two is the second submatch for as many submatches as exist. So if we run the code, you'll see what it's done, and then we can talk about it again. Okay. You're saying it should get null if it can't find the 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 number? So if there were no currency amount in that string, res would be null. So that's why there's an if statement there, because otherwise res zero would be absolute garbage. So it's good practice to test for null and then carry on and get the pieces out. So if you take the dollars out of the program you or the, the string you created, this doesn't return anything at all. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't so tell because... it what to do if it is null, but you're saying if it's not null, then go ahead and run this function. Got it. Yeah, so you could okay. put else pbs that say sod off or something okay. if you wanted, <laughs> and then that would be printed. Uh, but I put my parent sign or dollar sign, euro sign, whatever I had back then. Okay. So you'll see that the first, sub, the first thing, so res zero is everything that matched altogether. So of that whole string, it becomes just 50 euro and 43 cent. Because that's the only bit of that string that matched that rule. So I don't follow this at all. Lost you. Okay, the pattern is symbol followed by digits, uh-huh. maybe followed by a period, followed by some more digits. So of that whole string, only a small part of that string agrees with that pattern. I don't know what res zero means. Res zero is, by definition, if the result wasn't null, what, what, what the exec function does is it puts the matches into result, into res. That's what it does. So var res equals moneyori.exec on our string. So the, the rules, the, the definition of what the exec function is, is it will return either null if it didn't find a match or the details of the match it found. And it will do I don't so know what res 0, 1, 2, 3 are. I don't know. Okay, I am telling you, res 0 will be the bit of the string that matched the pattern. Okay. And in H- our case, how do we know that? Is, or that's just what... So that's what exec does. That is, I'm telling you that's what exec does. That is what the, the documentation says it does. That's by definition. Okay, and it has a definition for... But res use a word you made up. That's a variable yeah. you made up. Yeah, so the, the, so the function exec will return something which will have an element zero that is the match. And if there are submatches, an element one for the first submatch, an element two for the second submatch, an element three for the third submatch. Oh, okay. For as many submatches as there are. That is... That okay. is the rule. And you can name it whatever you like, but it will have an element zero, an element one, and so forth. Okay. Or it will be null if the pattern didn't, wasn't found. If the pattern doesn't exist, it will be null. So res zero is, by definition, the whole, the whole match. So in okay. other words, the, dot, the, the, the currency symbol and the digits. Res one is, from, is inside the first parens. So that's just the symbol. So in this case, the euro sign. Mm-hmm. res 2 is the second parens which is 50.43 because it's the opening parens is how you count them so the first opening parens gives us just the digits the second opening parens gives us the digit period sign the other digits oh i get it okay there you go gives just period and 43 okay now i'm with you got it perfect okay 
very useful to be able to to apply a pattern and split it apart. That's why .exec exists. .test is very simple. Do you match? Yes or no. .exec is give me the pieces. I, I, I don't just care that you matched. I want to see all the pieces. So .test is way more used, but .exec is very powerful. In fact, .exec is even more powerful than you think. Because not only does it give you the first match in all of its little pieces, it remembers where it left off. And if you call it again, it will give you the next match. So our next example, there are multiple currencies in our string. So I, I made up a new silly string. <laughs> My new silly string is, that lunch was delicious, but it cost 50 euro and 43 cents, which is a bit stiss. I guess I'd, have, I'd happily have paid 30 euro for it. Mind you, nothing as bad as the 100 pound lunch in London. Okay. Right, so there's three currencies there. You really got elaborate. I know. So again, the same regular expression. So var money or e equals exactly the same expression. And then we just say var res, and we don't give it a value. We just say we're creating this variable. We're going to need it in a minute. And then we put what we were doing before inside a loop. We say while the result is not equal to null, because remember null is what happens when there's no more matches. We say pbs.say found money amount res zero. And what you'll see is it actually finds all three currencies. First time through the loop, it got as far as 50 euro. And then it remembered. And the second time it started searching from there forward. And then it got 30. And then it remembered and it started searching from there forward and got 100. So if you could imagine that you had a massive document and you were trying to find out all of the temperatures, you just keep running re keep running exec inside a while loop and it will just catch all the temperatures for you hmm. okay powerful powerful you know the the reason i'm not not exactly uh jumping up and down is i'm not seeing the example you're talking about where you talked about three different uh uh three different values of money okay uh the example is the next one down in the show notes. oh i skipped over one okay sorry phew the no, whole time fine, I've been fine. looking at the next one going, I don't know what he's talking about. It's not saying the same words at all. <laughs> no, but I thought maybe I'd catch up eventually. Okay, gotcha. So that's that's everything I'm going to say about regular expression, the regular expression prototype. But I am going to say something else. So regular expressions, by their nature, are intimate friends with strings, right? Because the whole point is a regular expression is a pattern you test a string against. So rather than making a regular expression and then passing it a string... The string prototype has a few functions that work exactly the opposite way around. They accept a regular expression to apply it to the string. So if you have a string, you can apply a regular expression to it instead of creating a regular expression and applying it to a string. So you can go from the left to the right or from the right to the left. Wow. Word salad again. What? <laughs> okay. You can create a regular expression and then say my regular expression dot test and give it a string. So you have a regular expression, you give it a string. You can also go the exact opposite. You can have a string what, and what test you... it with a regular expression. Whichever you your brain likes best. I don't know whether your brain thinks one way or the other. I'm not... I don't know what you mean you know? by giving a regular expression a string. Don't you... Okay. Uh, don't you query a string for a regular expression? Yes, you do. But you can also... So you can start with a regular expression... And then say my regular expression dot exec and you give it a string like we've done mm -hmm. in these two examples here. You can also start with a string and say, dear string, do you match this regular expression? Oh, OK. I got you. Got you, got you. OK. All right. Caught up. 
So the string prototype contains a function called match. And its argument should be a regular expression. Oh, okay. And it will return false or true, basically. Okay. So we have an example here that we can pop into our playground and it loops through all of the inputs and tells you whether they're true or whether they are, whether I do or not meet the regular expression for an integer. And this one, we do have a minus sign in the regular expression, so it can be a positive or a negative integer. So if you run it with nothing in the inputs, it says enter values in the input to test if they are integers. So I'm going to put three into input one. I'm going to put minus four into input two and boogers into input three. As one does. As one does, we run it and we see that three is an integer, minus four is an integer, boogers is not an integer. Okay. Yes. So we're match we're taking so we're doing a for each on the inputs and we're saying for each string match them against the regular expression instead of doing it the other way around. Really, I would say whatever way your brain likes to think, do you think of a string matching a regular expression or a regular expression being matched by a string? JavaScript basically has decided it's your choice, not its choice. All right. That's, good. that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. Okay. Uh, then I'm going to mention my favorite string function. Replace. So you can take a string and say, here's a regular expression. I want you to find every time it occurs within yourself and then replace it with something else. Hmm. And this can be very powerful. So let's take the first replace example. So we want to replace every occurrence of dollar, euro sign and then a number, which is sort of how you might write it in some ways, with the sort of the more formal number, capital E, you wore on the end, like you'd see in financial software packages. Okay. So we want to transform euro symbol 1.23 into 1.23 EUR. So replace takes two arguments. It takes the regular expression and it takes a replacement. So if you find this, replace it with that. First, first the, the pattern, then the replacement. And inside the replacement, wherever you say $1, it will be the first, so the first parentheses. Dollar two, the second parentheses. Okay. So, again, I have a silly string because I just made up something about numbers. So, what is my silly string? I have a dollar twenty-seven euro in my pocket today, but I had well, it's the euro symbol. Mm-hmm. I had euro one twenty-seven in my pocket today, but I had euro twenty-two twenty-two yesterday. I must have spent ninety-five cent, which is euro zero point ninety-five, in the last day. Okay. And then we say pbs.say before. Okay. Then we mm -hmm. say this S becomes equal to. Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, this sorry, this well, makes everything makes sense in what I'm looking at. Good. Perfecto. Okay. So then we say S becomes S dot replace. And then we have a pattern. The pattern is the euro symbol. And then we have a starting parens slash D plus, in other words, one or more digits followed by a period symbol, followed by slash D slash D, and then we have a flag on the end for G. In other words, cool. I want to do this replacement right. not once, but on all of my Euro signs. Right. And the replacement is $1 EUR. So $1 is the first parens. So the first parens will be slash D 
period sign slash D slash D. So that seems kind of weird that you're going to replace it with dollar one EUR, but it's not going to be dollar one. Dollar one gets swapped in each time. So when you run it, you'll see that it becomes. So the first time dollar one becomes one point twenty seven, the second time it becomes two point twenty two. It's quote dollar one EUR unquote. So is dollar mm-hmm. one part of a regular expression thing or something? Yes, dollar one is part of how the replace function works. So, so that's not like a string function. or something I'm looking at that you just typed in. That's it is a string, but the function takes that string and replaces dollar one with whatever matched in the first parens inside the regular expression. So the fact that it has a dollar symbol in it has nothing to do with the fact that we're looking for dollars right now for euro. No, it doesn't. Dollar one is whatever I matched first. Uh, Okay. It's just unfortunate Uh, that your example was money. (laughs) That's a very good point. My second example is temperatures. Okay, that's probably going to be easier. All right. And if you run that code, you'll see that it says before we see the Euro Euro 127, and then after we see 127. Now, if you take the G out and rerun it, you'll see the importance of the G. Sure. Yeah, I would imagine it would only do one of them. Correct. It only does the first one. Right. Okay. So, again... Replace a pattern with a replacement can be very useful. And the last thing I'm going to do is I think going to make your brain go, oh my God, this is cool. Okay. Replacement can be an anonymous function, which means we can do maths. Okay. So my final example, the string is, it's it's 104F today. That's just too hot. 80F is hot enough for me. Now, me being an Irish person, I have no idea what that means. I'd like that in Celsius, please. I can use string replace to do the mathematics as well as the changing the F to a C. Oh, cool. So our pattern is an optional minus sign <laughs> followed by slash D plus. Might be minus 100 Fahrenheit. Probably not, but it might be. Mm-hmm. All of that is inside parens, so we can access it later as dollar one, uh, as the first match. And then the letter F, which is how a Fahrenheit temperature looks. And then we have the G modifier again to say, let's convert all of our Fahrenheits, please. And then we have function, str, sub 1. Now, str is the full match, and sub 1 is the first parens. We're not going to use str, but it's the first argument. We're only going to use sub 1. If we had a second parens, we could have a sub 2. And we're choosing what to name them. So you could call that whole string, comma, submatch one. Okay. Okay. And then we simply return what we want the replacement to be. So math.round. And then the, the math Fahrenheit to convert it to C. Minus 32 multiplied by 5 divided by 9 plus the character C. Okay. And if we run it, you will see that it now does the hard work and it tells me that. 40 degrees Celsius today, just too hot. 27 Celsius is not is hot enough for me. If Google didn't already do this for me, I would take this, uh, I would make myself a little automator script I could run any time you said the temperature, except I'd have to upside down everything. <laughs> you have to go the other way. You need to go yeah. look up the map to go from C to, from F to C. Instead of or from just C to F. invert it. And... Oh, sorry. From, yeah, you need to do the other way. Nine map. fifths and add 32. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... The most important thing I want you to know is that you can use regular expressions and that you can do all this cool stuff. Even I don't remember the exact syntax. I just go look it up, but I know it can do it, so I know what to Google for. Good. So that's what I want you to take away. Now, 
This The last thing here today is the last loose end, and this last loose end will make your code smaller and easier to read, which I'm hoping will make you feel better. Okay. So I have told you that good code doesn't, doesn't tolerate assumptions. If you're writing a function called factorial, it only makes sense to get the factorial of a whole number, and in fact, of a positive whole number. Therefore, if someone asks you to get the factorial of boogers... Your, fun- your code should detect the fact that it's been asked to do nonsense and should respond in an appropriate way. So we have done lots of, you know, if not nan and all these things that make your head explode. And we do this to make sure that our inputs are what we want them to be. And up until now, whenever they haven't been what we wanted them to be, we've returned a magic value. We've used nan a lot of the time. We've used zero. Or we might have used false as this magic value. And this is the old-fashioned, naive way of doing error checking. So if I got garbage in, I'm going to return you some predetermined garbage back. Ah. That's the exchange. Okay. The downside of this is that someone using your function has to keep checking the output. Was the output the garbage that we'd agreed on, or was the output something useful? And so your code becomes full of these needless if statements. So you ask it for the factorial of input 1. Did I get back a factorial or did I get back nan? Oh, I got back nan. They must have told me garbage. Okay. There's a better way. And this better way is called exception handling. Mm. And it's a built-in mechanism that you've already seen because every time you write JavaScript code that's invalid, JavaScript responds by throwing, is the verb used, you throw an exception. If you try to divide by zero, JavaScript throws an exception. Well, you have the power to throw an exception of your own. And what you actually throw is an object of the prototype error. So I've rewritten the factorial and... Um, Jill sent us a very nice email about two weeks ago telling you that you should have scolded me for not knowing the mathematical definition of factorial. Uh I said the factorial of zero is zero. No, it isn't. (laughs) The factorial of zero is one. Okay. So my my previous factorial example was mathematically wrong, even though the JavaScript was perfect. (laughs) Okay. So I'm now rewriting factorial, but I'm going to, instead of, say, instead of returning nan, I'm going to throw an error. Okay. So we say function factorial, and we take one argument, which we're going to call n. So n is the alias for the first argument. So we say, make sure we got a positive integer. So I'm going to use our regular expressions, because A, I love irregular expressions, and B, that's what I've just shown you how to do. So if not, n as a string dot match the regular expression for a, a, a positive whole number throw new error and then as an argument the actual english error so okay factorial must be called with a positive integer number as the first argument no need for a return we don't have to do anything else we just carry on with our code because if this happened the function stops and when as soon as an error is thrown nothing else happens So we can just write our code in the full knowledge that n is an integer and we don't have to do any more testing ever again. So we say if n is less than or equal to 1, return 1. That's because we know it's got to be a positive or 0. Yep, or it wouldn't have made it by that if statement. So 0 is considered a positive integer? It is, yes, because it doesn't start with a minus sign. Okay. That I might have argument with, but okay. (laughs) In terms of our regular expression, it is. Sure. And there is a factorial of zero, it's one. So we may as well accept zero. So if if n is less than or equal to one, return one. Otherwise, return n times the factorial of n minus one. That's our standard rule of factorial. Now let's test it. PBS.say factorial five. 
pbs.safe factorial boogers and then pbs.safe factorial 3. And now I'm not going to tell you what happens. I'm going to ask you to run it and I'm going to ask you to tell me what happened. So when I run it, it's looking at my pbs.inputs. Oh, it is. Is it? Yeah. Because I no. happen to have three, four, and boogers in there. Okay. Three minus four and boogers. And it says a factorial of three is six. Failed to calculate the factorial of minus four with error. Factorial must be called with positive something, but the text is too small to fit. And failed to calculate you the factorial of the boogers. Right example. There's a lot of I examples. think you're one example too far down the page. Okay. Are you doing the first one before I'm you doing taught the us? First. Oh, I thought we'd yeah. move past that one because you said we had a better way to go. No, no. So we're, we're throwing here. We're just not catching yet. Because I wanted to see you not catch an error. Oh, okay. So if you scroll up from where you are now, yeah, scroll I up got it. by the little teeny tiny example, which isn't yeah. really an example. It's just a... Right. Okay. I'd run this one first and it stops after the second one. So it says Factoria 5 okay. is 120. When it gets to boogers, it says it's a it's an error, and then it does not go on to factorial three. Now, does that error look familiar to you? Because if you were to like lop off a paren somewhere, wouldn't that error look very much exactly the same? Only instead of saying factorial must be called, it would say something like expected parens found semicolon or something. Yes. Yeah. That is because what's actually happened is we have triggered a problem exactly the same mechanism, and so the playground. So we threw an error. We said, throw new error, factorial must be called with. We do that in line 10. And we never catch it. So we've thrown something and just never caught it. And so if it goes uncaught, the playground catches it because it reaches the edge of your code, smacks headlong into the playground, and the playground catches it. And the playground doesn't know where the error came from. All it knows is, I got an error. Maybe Allison left out a semicolon. Maybe something else went wrong. I have no idea. I'm going to put an, a triangle, the word error on a colon, and then I'm going to print out whatever the error was they threw at me. Yeah, the playground's real snotty about not telling you where that error is. <laughs> That's unfortunately because it's not able to. <laughs> okay. When we just move out of the playground, you're going to get line numbers for your errors for the first time ever, and you're going to be very happy. Bless your little heart. Okay. I can't do it in the playground, unfortunately. I, I right. wanted to, but I couldn't. Okay. So that's an uncaught exception. The thing is, we have the power to catch them. And the, the, the syntax for that is something called a try-catch block. So the word try, open curly bracket, and then all of the code that might generate an error, close curly bracket, catch, inside parens, a name of your choosing, which will be the name of the error, open a squiggly bracket, what to do when something goes wrong, close the squiggly bracket. Hmm. And whatever you've I don't actually know what error. catch means. Oh, catch, okay, so when you throw an error, it is it keeps go it keeps going up until it meets either a catch block or you run out of code. That doesn't tell me what a catch block does. It stops the error rippling and then responds. Oh, so okay. So the playground responds by doing by putting up a, J, a, a PNG image that is a triangle and then writing in snotty okay. red. That's, okay, got that you. is the catch of the playground. But you can have your own catch. So that instead of letting the playground do it, you can catch it yourself, write some sort of friendly message, and then the code won't stop. It'll continue after oh, the catch you. block. Okay. Because the, error, yeah, the error has been contained. So the try See, is basically something might go wrong here. And the catch is if it does... Here's how we deal with that problem. So Whatever try only gets invoked if, if an error has happened? 
So the try... No, no, the try is run, and the try inside the try is what might throw the error, and the catch is skipped if there's no problem. Oh, okay. So you huh. try something. If it doesn't fail, the catch never happens. If it does fail, then the catch takes over. The catch steps in and says, ah, okay. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to handle this. I got this. I got this. And it's going to do something. And lets you move on to the next one. To the and lets you each. move on to the rest of your code. Okay. Exactly. So now we come to the example you were running before. And this example is much, instead of stopping, because of where the try is, so it says, so we have the exact same factorial function, not a line has changed there. It still throws an error if it's not happy. And then we say var ipts equals pbs.inputs. So it's just the array of all the inputs. If the inputs at length is greater than zero, we do something. Otherwise, we say enter positive integer numbers in the inputs to calculate their factorials. So we're being friendly again. So assuming we have something to try, we say inputs dot for each. Try to calculate the factorial and fail gracefully if needed, is what my comment says. So we say try pbs.say the factorial of concatenated with the input, concatenated with is concatenated with factorial of the input. Catch the error. pbs.say fails to calculate the factorial of of concatenated with the input, concatenated with with error concatenated with e or or dot message so e or or is a name of your choosing dot message is not that is like dot length that is the javascript rule okay so whatever we caught we're going to call it e or or and then we would like to get its message okay huh. and then if you run it you will see that it now behaves in the same way so if you put in you know th- three minus four boogers you should see sensible output yeah yeah. Before, uh, lest Jill be required to write another correction thing, uh, I just looked it up to be sure, and zero is not a positive integer. So the only thing that's wrong is your uh, your your text comment. My text comment, yeah. My code yeah. is correct. Okay. Your code, code is code correct. Is <laughs> but a, a zero or positive integer. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that's it. Wow. We're done. We have now covered... You said this was going to be light. This was still pretty heavy, Bart. Okay, but most of it is just remember this is possible. Okay, Remember good. you can reverse the string. Remember you can sort an array. Remember there are regular expressions. That's all I want you to do. And then go look up how you need them when you need them. Good, good. Okay, a okay. reminder, we have a cheat sheet. Yes. I have updated said cheat sheet. It now contains everything up to and including this installment. And I used the cheat sheet, even though I failed miserably at my assignment. I did go to the cheat sheet. <laughs> good, good. I still have it open. Okay. Finally, I have a challenge for you. Again, this challenge is very, very similar idea. We're dealing, we're still dealing with objects because objects are so important. I would like you to create a prototype called capital I, capital P, and its raison d'etre <laughs> will be to create objects that represent IP addresses. Okay. Inside that I, your IP addresses, I would like you to represent the actual IP address as an array of four integers. So instead of having dot underscore quote and dot underscore by as two strings, I want you to have dot underscore whatever you're going to call it be an array. And into that array, you're going to put the numbers that make up the IP address. Okay. By default, I would like you to have it default to the IP address 0.0.0.0. So in other words, internally, the array will be an array of 0, 0, 0, 0. Okay. 
I would like you, once you've created that very simple constructor, I'd like you to add a function to the prototype called parse, P-A-R-S-E. And that function should accept either a string as one argument or an array as the first argument. So it'll be either a string or an array. And either way, I want you to, to store the IP address if it's valid. If it's not valid, I want you to throw an error that says you gave me garbage of some sort. All right. So that gives you an excuse to check, you know, check if something is an array. If it is an array, just copy it in. If it's not an array, do we have to then catch you're it too? Probably. <laughs> well, the catch comes later, right? When you're writing the prototype, you don't care how it's going to be used. Oh, okay, so right. This is why the try catch is great. So when you're writing the code, you don't care what the person using your code is going to do when something goes wrong. All you're doing is flagging the fact that you're not happy. So when you're writing the prototype, all you do is throw. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. When you use the prototype, do you have to catch, which is why it's nice. It splits the two problems and separates them nicely from each other. Okay. Uh, So the parse function should throw an error if it gets garbage data. So if someone tries the IP address 4021.alpha.omega, that's garbage. Throw an error, right? So unless you get four numbers between 0 and 255. Ah, which you didn't tell us to do, but I was going to do that. Okay. Oh, you do later. Okay. Say, I do. I definitely do. Mm-hmm. I'd like it to create another function called toArray. So like toString, but toArray. And this function requires no arguments and should return the IP address as a fresh array. In other words, I want you to make a new array and copy in the four values and return it. I'd like you then to add a third function called toString, which should print out the IP address as a dotted quad. In other words, our join function would be very helpful here. Mm. we can join an array on a dot that'll give us back an IP address Okay. as a reminder an IP address consists of four positive integer numbers between 0 and 255 inclusive separated by periods or full stop if you're in the UK symbols now with that done I'd like you to create a prototype called subnet this constructor should require two arguments an IP address and a string and that string has three valid values a B or C. Anything else, throw an error. Okay. I'd like you to have a toString function. The toString should print the IP address, then a forward slash symbol, and then 255.0.0.0 if you're an A, 255.255.0.0 if you're a B, or 255.255.0 if you're a C. So I don't want you to do any mathematics. I don't want you to do any binary maths, any of that stuff. I'm telling you, if it's an A, return this. If it's a B, return that. If it's a C, wait, return wait, that. But we don't know. I don't remember which ones are A, Bs, and Cs. I've told you here. An A, then it's 255000. No, 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 but I don't know how it's an A. You're, okay, so your constructor is going to have saved two pieces of information. Just like with your quote, you saved what it is and who said it. You're going to save an IP address and a string. So you're going to compare the string. If this dot underscore subnet double equals A... Oh, the string, you never told us the string. Okay, valid classes are A, B, or C. Okay, so you're going to give it A, B, or C. If it's A, you're going to say it's 255200. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so it's just if statements. If we're an A, this. If we're a B, this. If we're C, this. So no evil binary mathematics. That's not fair. That that would make you very cranky. Okay. And then the very last one is the, the one where I'm sort of hoping you're going to do a little bit of if else, if else kind of stuff. I'd like you to add a function called test. And it's going to be take as an argument an IP address, and it's going to tell you 
if the IP address is in the subnet. And this, again, doesn't involve much work because if it's an A, I only want you to compare the first two digits. And if they're the same, then it's okay. If it's a B, I want you to compare the first two. And if it's a C, you have to compare the first three. And by first three, you mean three numbers. Three numbers. Because remember, you're going to be testing. So your, your subnet consists of an IP address and a letter. And you're testing it against an IP address. So if the letter is A, I want you to take the first bit of the IP, of the IP address that's inside your object and the first bit of the IP address you were handed yet you're testing. If they're the same, return true in all other okay, cases. Okay, so, so if I've got a one, 172 is the first three digits in a class A, then mm-hmm. and I pass it a value of 192 is the first three, then it says not it's not in that subnet, but if it's 172, it is in the subnet. Correct. So if it's an A, I only want you to test oh, the first two Oh, that's a lot of logic. Numbers. And I'll forget that by later. If it's a later, B, I want okay. you to test two. But yeah, All it's right. going to be a bunch of if statements. Okay. So we're, we're, small Lego blocks we're going to put on top of each other. No, I don't and worry. Then, I'll be stuck on block one, so I shouldn't even be worried about this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. Anyway, oh, the final thing I'd like you to do is using our playground, I want you to take input one and input two and use those to make a subnet. So input one should be an IP address. Input two should be A, B, or C. And then I'd like you to use input three to test if it's inside the subnet made of input okay, one and you two. might want to say that more clearly because uh, you don't say that input one is the IP address, input two is the class. I don't. I say you should create a subnet from inputs one and two. And yeah, when that, I say what uh, a subnet is, I tell you what it is. But okay, yeah, I might but be... I would not. I would not be making that stretch by the time I got there. Okay, tomorrow. I'll, I'll reword that. I'll reword okay. that in the next wee while. Okay, and that's it. So we're, that that that's that's it. And this is all of JavaScript. So what we're going to do here, this is. This is one of those really important points in the series where we've we've reached the summit and we're now going to take a while to catch our breath. Good. So there, <laughs> this is the totality of JavaScript. You now, we need to consolidate the knowledge, but you have now been told all of JavaScript. And it's going to take a little while to digest it, but then you know an entire programming language. Actually, you know three. You already know HTML, you already know CSS... And now you're going to, you've just, you, you know, we have now covered an entire full-bodied, full-featured, not toy in any way. <laughs> like JavaScript is not a toy language. This is for real. Yeah. Yeah. Now we haven't consolidated all the knowledge yet, but you now know the size of the mouthful. And <laughs> okay. We're going to work, we're going to work through it. And then you're going to have something really valuable. You know, not like giving up after, what was the example from, um, uh, ah, okay, it's 11 p.m. and I haven't eaten yet. That's why my brain isn't working. <laughs> our wonderful New Zealand friend who told us all about making our brains work. Oh, oh, Marianne. Thank you, Marianne. Sorry, Marianne. Uh, you know, so Marianne said, try something hard, stretch yourself. Well, now you know how far the stretch is. Yeah. Yeah, my brain is full right now. <laughs> it is. But we have. We've already decided that if if after two weeks your brain is still full, we're going to do something else for a week. So you have either two weeks or a month. Okay. And since I'm planning on being a uh, grandparent in that length of time, I think there's a real high likelihood we're going to need to do that. (laughs) Well, that's fine. I really don't mind because I already have another topic lined up to to stick in between while we're all digesting. And to help everyone digest, I'm going to do up a section of stepped challenges. So challenge one will be very easy. Challenge two will be easy three will be a little bit less easy and it's going to cover everything from uh pbs 12 on up 12 
up to and including 18. Good. But again, in little small pieces. And then by the time you've done all the small pieces, you should have actually ended up right where we are now. Good. I might need that. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm going to work on that next week and I'll have that ready by the weekend. So next weekend, I'll have that ready to publish. Excellent. All right, Bart. Well, um, this was full. <laughs> I, I did say it would be. That's right. All right, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Okay, I will talk to you soon. And uh, fingers crossed and uh, best of Well, it's not like you're doing the work on the baby making, but, <laughs> you know, to Lindsay, best of luck with the whole, you know, miracle yeah. of life thing. Thanks, Bart. Okay, talk to you soon. And until then, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon or App Store affiliate links you'll find over at podfeet.com. I love feedback, so if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com. If you want to join in the conversation with other listeners, you can go over to our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus or our Facebook group over at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.